So, because of the blizzard a couple weeks ago, we are, uh, we're a little off track. We're a week behind. And what that means is, this morning, we're going to try and cover um, two of the solas. We're going to cover, cover sola gratia, or grace alone, and we want to cover uh, sola Christus, Christ alone. <clears throat> and um, that means we're going to have to cover a lot of ground quickly. And what I want to do is I want to start with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn there. <clears throat> this is definitely where you want to be. A marginal Christian, okay? That means next to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 in your Bible would be a great place to put something like very important or memorize this or don't forget this, okay? Because this is one of those passages, just very critical. All Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2 are just monumental. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let me pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we do pray that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it will be acceptable in your sight for your glory and for our good. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How, how many of you, if I were to ask you right now, give me a definition of grace. How many of you all have one? It's notoriously difficult to give a good definition of grace. Um, and so if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure that I, I mean, I think I could might maybe get through it. But do you have a, like a working definition, like you could hand off a definition? Where would you take someone in the Word? Or how would you illustrate the idea of grace? What exactly is it? As one of the five solas of the Reformation, the Reformers saw grace alone. This, this aspect of our salvation is obviously ultra-critical. It was one of the five things that they pulled out and, and felt as if they needed a really solid defense of in the world because the church had somehow lost its way. They had piled upon, they had piled on top of grace works and, and, and things that you had to do in order for your salvation to be secure. And so the reformers were coming along and they were saying, not so fast. The Word seems to indicate that our salvation is all of grace. Completely, totally of grace. One of the best known definitions of grace is simply God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. That means... His favor towards you, which you have done nothing to merit. That is, win. You've done nothing for it. A.W. Tozer expanded on that. He said, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him 
to bestow benefits on the undeserving. I'll read that again. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Another theologian, Louis Burkhoff, put it this way. Grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man, affected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now we're starting to get... a little more technical, but you can see what they're, you can see what each of them are shooting for. That is, it's God's prerogative, and you have absolutely nothing to do with it. John MacArthur defines it this way, and I like it. The free and benevolent influence of a holy God operating sovereignly in the lives of undeserving sinners. There are a number of books that have been written, obviously, on the idea, the subject of grace. One of them is a book that Philip Yancey put out several years ago um, about grace. In that book, Philip Yancey tells a story because he's he was working at trying to define, try to illustrate what grace is. Again, somewhat difficult. And so he tells a story. He says, it's a little like this experience I had. He said he had flown in, uh, was flying into an airport. He was late. And so by the time he got to the rental car counter, he, he knew he had to pay. You know, he was, he was late getting there. And so when he got to the counter, he just dropped all of the stuff and he said, you know, I'm so and so. I'm Philip Yancey. I'm here to get my car and I, I know I'm late. Just tell me what I owe extra. And she says, um, oh, Mr. Yancey, that's okay. There's a one-hour grace period. And so, being the author of a book on grace, he looked at her and he said, can you define what grace is for me? And she said, well, I don't really know. I think what it means is you're supposed to pay, but in this case, you don't have to pay. And that's good. It doesn't go far enough, though. Because a better illustration of grace at that point would have been this. You know, Mr. Yancey, you have a one-hour grace period, and you don't have to pay. And not only do you not have to pay, but we're going to pick up the price of the car for you. You see, just getting the car and not having to pay a fine, getting the car for nothing, ah, that would be unmerited favor of Avis or Hertz. To give you the car free and clear, and you have to pay what? Nothing. That's grace. That's what grace is. A free gift that God has given to us, and we deserved none of it. That's what grace is. Let's talk a little bit about how do you get it? How do you go about getting grace? Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is what? Not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. What do you do for a gift? Nothing. 
You do nothing for a gift. In fact, you don't even have to, you know, somebody would say, well, you've got to receive it. Eh, yes and no. Some of you, and this is a good practice, okay, it's okay to do this. Some of you occasionally leave gifts for me. It's completely acceptable. In fact, highly encouraged. But you'll leave them. You'll leave them in my box. Sometimes you come by the office, you'll leave them on my desk. And I'm not even there. I, I, I can't even receive the gift. I, I can acknowledge it, right? Um, but it's mine. You left it in my box. You left it on my desk. And so there it is. Several years ago, a, a number of years ago, I'm starting to get a long many years ago, our first church, we're in Louisville, Mississippi. We lived in the manse. It was right behind the church. It was a beautiful home. And, uh, and we loved living there. Uh, the yard was somewhat plain Jane. It was pretty ordinary. It was just grass. And um, we had a couple of trees, oak, some old big oak trees in the yard. But, but there was really nothing else. And um, we were young, young family, first church. Um, would have loved to have had the money to put in flower beds and all of that sort of thing. But it just wasn't in the cards. Um, we were has, we were still having babies, and so um, I'll never forget. We came we come home one day, and there there they are. They've already done it. A, a landscaping company had been hired by a beautiful lady in the church, and they came in and they just redid the yard, and it was amazing. But it was done. It was a gift that they had given to us. I didn't have to receive it. I didn't have to open it. I didn't do anything for it. It was completely undeserved, totally unexpected. But there it was. The grace that God shows us is very much like that. Completely undeserved, the Word tells us. Totally unexpected when it shows up on our doorstep. And guess what? The, the, the picture that the Bible paints of a grace that comes to you is such that you would never turn it away. It just expands and it grows in your life. It's operational. It's, it's highly functional. When God comes and He says, I am going to be gracious to you, you would never turn it down. How do you get it? He gives it to you. Over and over and over in Scripture. We're shown this picture of a grace that's free and unmerited. The aspect of it that you have to include each and every time is it's totally undeserved. Because as we read in the Bible, right, what is it that sinners deserve? Sinners deserve the wrath and justice of God. 
And every single one of us that walked through the doors this morning, we are all sinners. And so what we deserve, according to the Word, is we deserve the justice and wrath of God. When grace shows up, we get His unmerited favor and pleasure towards us. That's quite amazing. Let's ask the final question. What do you do with it? What do you do with the grace that you've been shown? At least two things. First, you sort of revel in it. Or perhaps a better way to put it would be you live in it. That is, it comes to you, it changes you, and you you gaze at it, you absorb it, you take it in, you meditate on it, you sing about it, you pray through it, you live in it. As you work your way through the Bible, you see people that encountered Jesus and they, as they come to Him, right, they, I'm thinking of people like Zacchaeus, the wee little man who cr- climbed the tree to see Jesus. And as Jesus made his way all the way through the, the crowd, he comes to Zacchaeus, a, a completely reprobate tax collector. And he says, listen, I'm coming to your house today. And so they go and they have a meal. And at this meal, as they're there, Zacchaeus is completely undone by the favorite the, the favoritism, really, of Jesus that's been shown to him. And so he stands up and says, here today, I proclaim, I am going to give back everything that I've swindled and even more than I've swindled. I'm going to give it all away. And Zacchaeus offers his fortune. See, that's reveling in grace. That is, that is understanding, oh, my stars, this unmerited favor has come my way. And he began right out of the gate. To respond to it, to revel in it, to live in it, to, to begin the process really of living in God's grace. Here's the second thing you do. You pass it on. You pass it on. Having received grace, you now become a dispenser of grace. Remember, we talked about Abraham. So here is Abraham living in in Ur. He's a polytheist, worshiping many gods. God comes to him unexpectedly and completely undeserved. And he shows himself to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I am going to make you the father of a great nation. And so he draws Abraham out of that situation and he moves him to the new land. Totally unexpected, completely undeserved. Abraham did nothing for it. And yet God showed it to him. And then remember what he tells him. He tells him as he makes a covenant with him, Abraham, you will be a blessing to the nations. And so remember we have that little moniker, God will never bless you without also making you a blessing. He will not show His grace to you without also making you a dispenser of grace. And so we go into the world and we show grace. Now listen, this is a really important part, okay? Because this is where, this is where sometimes 
people begin to think, oh, so it's a quid pro quo. God shows grace to me. I owe him. Now I go and I do good things because I have to keep and earn and show that I was truly worthy of the grace that he has shown to me. So God blesses me. Therefore, I now have to be a blessing. No. That's not the equation. The equation is God has blessed you. And in the grace that he has shown to you, that grace is a transformational grace. It turns you into a new person. And that new person does good works. Look at the way the Apostle Paul says it, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There's no works involved. But he goes on after that and he says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Does that sound confusing? It could be a little confusing. It's so closely connected. It's a little bit like faith. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Because if the transformation has happened, if the faith is there, if the grace has been shown, there will necessarily be a change in the recipient resulting in good works. That's different than... I've received the grace, now I've got to go work. Now I owe Him. We sing a couple of, we sing a couple of hymns that touch on that, that skirt that a little bit. It's a really important distinction for us because it's not a quid pro quo. We don't owe Him anything. By His grace, he has already purchased us. We're His. There's no owing. The owing has already been paid by Christ. Christ has paid the debt. He has sealed the deal. And because you've received the grace, because I've received the grace, it becomes transformational in our lives. Now, I want to, uh, on the heels of that, I hope what you're hearing is this. Grace is really quite amazing. It's free. It's unmerited. I do nothing to deserve it. And I don't pay God back for it. And it comes to me when I'm absolutely at my worst. God reveals grace to me. Yes. Yes to all of that. When you're absolutely in the worst shape, grace shows up. And it transforms your life. And it changes who you are. And yet you owe God nothing. The Apostle Paul preached that kind of grace. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to do the quickest run-through of half of the book of Romans you've ever done. So, in the book of Romans, first chapter... The Apostle Paul begins to outline for us the fact that we have before him, we're all guilty. Chapter 1, chapter 2, 
and chapter 3 essentially establish our guilt before God. We are all sinners. Uh, The summary statement that really kind of gets at all of it begins in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. They have all turned away and have become together, they've become worthless. No one who does good, not even one. So Paul just establishes, we're all there, we're all there together, everyone is dead in their trespasses and sins. And then he offers up to us, and he says in verse 21, But now, but now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. The law and the prophets testify about this righteousness. This righteousness, verse 22, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his what? Grace. You're tracking. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All right. We're all sinners. Salvation is by faith through grace. Then in chapter 4, he gives us an illustration. And the illustration is none other than Abraham. So he illustrates grace through the life of Abraham and faith. Chapter 5, he talks more. By the time he gets to the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6 comes. And what he has just described for us is the kind of grace that I've spoken to you about this morning. It's a grace that has you scratching your head. You mean while I was a sinner, dead in my sin, grace came? God loved me and he was gracious to me? Yes. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's what the Word says. So let's think logically. Well, if God's grace came to me while I was a sinner... And why can't I just go on sinning? That's the logical question. If His grace came while I was still sinning and while I was a sinner, then why can't I continue to sin? Look at Romans 6, verse 1. Paul anticipates your question. He anticipates the logic of the argument. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he uses really strong language in verse 2. He says, by no means. But you see the logic. The logic is God's grace is that amazing that while I'm a sinner it comes to me and it's free and it's a part and it doesn't demand anything of me. Yes, you understand grace. But if it's that amazing and it's that good and it's that awesome and it comes while I'm still a sinner, why can't I just keep sinning? God's grace will increase, right? Because it's that amazing. And Paul says, no, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he goes on in chapter 6 really to outline, no. You see, that grace 
has transformed you. You're a new person. You're a, as he says later in Corinthians, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's the amazing nature of grace, is that it transforms you. It changes you from who you were to who you are now. I have about five minutes, and I want to cover the final point, which is Christ alone in five minutes. Marion may have to work on a little bit next week. This amazing grace, and here's how I want to tie this together. This grace that we have is only possible because of the work of one man. Because of the work of Christ. You see, great... <laughs> here's some, one of the things we sometimes say is grace is never free. That sounds completely contradictory, right? Grace is never free. Someone always pays. We've said this before. And in this instance, yes, the payment was made by Christ. You see, Christ bore in Himself the penalty for our sin. And then He also completely and totally fulfilled the law's demands. So those are the two things that He did. And He did those for us so that we would have only one name, only one person whom we would go through in order to receive salvation. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, Peter says, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is it. Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus works, not Jesus plus another mediator, not Jesus plus a priest. You see, remember what this is arising out of. This is a, this, this is coming out of the, the Roman Catholic Church and the tradition that had built up. And, and so there were a number of mediators. There were, they, they were praying through, through saints and, and they were praying to Mary and they were, they were doing all of these sorts of things, and so they had many advocates, if you will. And the Reformers came along and said, no, we have one advocate with the Father, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through Him that we are saved. John Calvin put it this way, and it's a little bit long, but I... I hope you can follow and hear the parts. Christ stepped in. He took the punishment upon Himself and He bore the judgment due to sinners. With His own blood, He expiated the sins which made them enemies of God and thereby satisfied Him. We look to Christ alone for divine favor and fatherly love. 
Hence, Christ is called the King of Peace and our peace because He quiets all the agitations of conscience. If we ask the means, He must come. We must come to the sacrifice by which God has been appeased. For anyone unconvinced that God is appeased by that one atonement in which Christ endured His wrath will never cease to tremble. In short, we must seek peace for ourselves solely in the anguish of Christ our Redeemer. And what Calvin is getting at there is this. Right? Christ alone satisfies the just judgment of God for us. No one else can do it. No one else has done it. But Jesus and Him alone. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know that grace? Do you know this Christ? Is that the meditation upon which your heart is fixed? I would encourage you to push your understanding of grace a little bit. Push it to the to that limit. Think about, meditate upon the fact that God requires nothing of you in order to be right with Him. Only that you trust in Christ by faith. That you believe that He has satisfied both God's demands and the law's demands, and He's made you right with God. Are you there? Can you say that? Have you given up your striving and your trying? Have you laid down whatever you thought you were going to bring to the cross and said, I believe? And what Christ has done for me. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you that so long ago there were men and women willing to delve into your word and to study. Father, we thank you that they were working to capture a sense of the awe and majesty of your work of salvation for us a stumbling block to so many. And yet all you've told us is that you love us and you freely offer to us salvation in Christ and in Him alone. Father, may that steal our hearts and may it excite us as a people as we go out into the world. Let us be, because of the changed nature of our hearts, dispensers of grace to family and friends and to foe, Everywhere we are, in Christ's name, amen.